Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of Not Aspirational with Hannah Brown. I'm your host, Hannah Brown, and welcome back, everybody. Um, I'm so nervous to record this. Um, so here's the thing. I don't mean to throw a curveball at everyone, but I know that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, I don't really know how to say this. I'm taking an indefinite break from this podcast. And I literally like lost sleep over it last night because I was so nervous to like make this announcement. But I've um, why am I getting emotional? I'm so scared to do this. I've been like, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I swear. It's just how I am. I've wanted to take a break for a while. Um, and I've wanted to focus on acting more and it's scary because I've put almost four years of my life into this show and I'm so grateful for like all the doors it's opened and all the relationships I've made and all the friends I've made through it and being able to connect with all of you. And my biggest fear is that in stepping away for an indefinite amount of time that I'm letting you down, I had to take a beat and calm down. God, it doesn't get more not aspirational than crying on your own fucking podcast. So yeah, I, <laughs> I've i wanted to take this break for a while. I've been scared to do it. Obviously, I'm a little emotional about it because it feels very risky and it feels very vulnerable. And I'm dealing with this really wild cocktail of emotions that's like excited to see what my life looks like when I do give acting all of my attention because I've never really gotten to do that before. Um, story time. Right out of college, I planned on moving to LA and then I got into this acting program in Kentucky that's like really fucking good. And then a few months into that, I found out my mom was terminally ill. So I came home to take care of her and obviously just like be with her. And then after that, it was like after she passed away, it was the fallout of like grief and numbing myself in every way that I could. And this podcast, when I started it, was sort of just what I thought at the time was me like reclaiming my power and like not giving a fuck and just like putting my voice out there. I did not expect it to become what it became. I did not expect it to like open my life up in the way that it did. And I'm so grateful for that. But like, I don't know what my life looks like just giving acting most of my attention. Like I haven't even tried that yet. And I'm almost fucking 30 years old. And acting is like why I moved to LA. And it's been my dream since I was little. And I love podcasting. I love the relationships that I've made through it. It's literally been an amazing ride. But right now, I just got to get off for a second and see what my life looks like. And so I'm nervous. I'm scared. I feel bad if I'm letting anyone down. My DMs are always open. I don't want to like fall into obscurity and lose touch with everybody. I do have some really awesome ideas that I can't wait to share, more videos that I want to make, some hashtag secret projects. Sorry to be that person, but it's true. And I'm just excited to sort of explore this and like take the leap and just see how I feel. And I'm sure that this is not the last you'll hear of me. I mean, I know it's not also because I'm continuing my Gossip Girl podcast with friend of the pod, Tyler Meredith. So March 23rd, mark your calendars. Our Gossip Girl podcast, You Know You Love Us, is coming back and that's going to be super fun. But not aspirational, just I'm, I'm giving her a little nap just to see how that feels. And I thank you all in advance for understanding and I thank you all for your like constant support. And I'm... 
a little embarrassed because I know last year I made this like huge deal about rebranding and and at the time that's what I thought I wanted but right now this just isn't doing it for me so thank you in advance for understanding I really like love you all so much and I know that every podcaster says that but I'm just so eternally grateful and proud of the community that y'all have created through listening to this show and being able to connect with you all has been an absolute dream. Again, when I started this show, I was more depressed than I had ever been. I was numbing with food, alcohol, sex, and conflict. And I I was just a shell of myself. And I really, I'm not going to cry again, was able to rediscover myself in real time through sticking with this show and through connecting with all of you. So really, thank you so much. Patreon people, I'm still going to be doing the Patreon um, because it's one episode a month and I can handle that. But uh, sorry for everyone in regards to the regular feed. And again, thank you in advance for understanding. I am, however, thrilled for this week's episode and this week's amazing guest. We are going out on a high note. Again, I don't know if it's a goodbye. It might be a see you later. I don't fucking know. I'm bad at goodbyes. But I'm really excited about this week's episode and this week's guest. So let's get into it. This week on the podcast, we have my very dear friend, Taylor Wisham. We met at ISU. She's an incredible actor and filmmaker. So, so talented, full of joy, light and wisdom. I love her so much. And we discussed the iconic 90s flick BAPS, which stands for Black American Princesses. And it stars Halle Berry and Natalie DeSalle. It is so funny. It is the joyful, happy, eye candy nostalgia we all need right now. I mean, the fashion in this movie is next level. It's so fucking funny. If you haven't seen it, please go see it. And I had Taylor on to just talk about our love for it. So without further ado, let's get into it, everybody. Um, first of all, thank you all again for listening and thank you for supporting me. My DMs are open if if you want to talk, if you have any questions, if you have any thoughts. And without further ado, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Taylor Wisham about the movie BAPS. Taylor Wisham, welcome back to the pod. Oh my gosh, Hannah Brown, thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, always such a pleasure, such an honor to have you here. And I'm thrilled that you were game to come on and discuss BAPS with me. Anytime. I love that you like text me and we're like, do you, would you maybe want to possibly like, it's okay if you're busy. And I'm like, obviously I will talk about BAPS. Uh, it's better than me just ranting on my Instagram stories. Okay. Well, I feel like, yeah, the listeners need to know you posted about BAPS on your story. Mm-hmm. And I was I like, did. Taylor, I love this movie. And you were like, Hannah, you've seen this as a white lady. And I was like, yes. Hannah, I have told multiple black people about you and specifically <gasps> about that moment because, and I told friends who were going back in time, who were at the same table when we went to see America Ferreira mm-hmm. and who <gasps> for years referred to you as the gotta kick it up girl or the Cise Puede girl. I'm sorry. Cise I Puede. had to tell her that. Yes. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, do you remember? At this point, my friends are like, we know who Hannah is. You don't have to keep saying si se puede every time you talk about Hannah. And I'm like, I'm just, I just, I just want to like clarify, like si se puede. They're like, we get it. And so I was like, okay. So Hannah um, messaged me and said that she loves BAPS. And I was like, what? And I thought you were just like, 
oh, I love that thing. Like, oh, yes, I love that, 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 that thing in theory. And then you fully started telling me moments and scenes in the movie. You're like, yes, when Mickey did this and this happened. And I was just like, I literally was holding my phone like, am I in another dimension? I think I'm in a different world because I have never in my life. And I told one of my friends that and she, her eyes got big and she went, what? And I was like, exactly. And she was like, white people know what BAPS is. And I was like, I had no idea that any Caucasian in the United States of America knew what this was unless they had to like review this movie. I, that is, I, I, it was so funny to me because I was like, I have it on DVD, like in my DVD sleeve, you know, those big like DVD sleeves. Oh, absolutely. Um, I was like, I have it in there. I remember cause my dad, well, first I, I should ask you, what is your first experience with BAPS? I wish I could remember because I know. So I rewatched BAPS two nights ago to prepare, mm-hmm. to prep, yes. to just like really get in the zone. And I, Truly, I was honestly, I also own it on DVD and I was shocked that it was like open, like it wasn't still covered in like plastic wrap. I'm like, oh, I've watched this on DVD. I don't remember when. I have no recollection of when I watched Babs mm-hmm. um, the last time, but I remember watching it as a kid. I think it came out, excuse me, let me look at my reviews. I'm pretty sure it came out in 1998. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I was a fresh seven. Mm-hmm. Um I have no idea when I watch Babs, but I know as a child growing up, like in middle school, for sure, I watched it multiple times. I was like, this movie is fantastic. Same. Yeah. And it was around that time for me, too, because for me, it was my parents split up when I was like nine and my dad had like fancy digital cable with like HBO and like all the channels. And I remember it was randomly on one of those like movie channels and I loved it. And and I think like at the time it was just on a lot and my sister and I would watch it all the time. And it was like our favorite movie. It's such just like a good feel good movie. And now it's also this like epic 90s time capsule, too. Yes. Like that was the most shocking part in rewatching it. And I was like, this is so like specifically capturing a very like a moment in time that Mm -hmm. was very wild to revisit as an adult. Like, I think it's like so weird to revisit those movies that you loved, like as a kid or growing up that were about like adult stories. And now I am an adult watching this, which really gave me a lot of new perspective. And I had a lot of questions about the like the the logistics of this movie. Me too. (laughs) Me too. I was like, wow, how did I just like take this plot at face value as a child? I was fully like, this doesn't fully make sense. But here we are. But here we are. We're having fun. Yeah. Full light latex outfits and all. Okay. The, the outfits I like, I'm looking at all my questions because I had a feeling that we would just be able to go off the cuff, but I, we have to talk about the fashion because it is like a, it's a character in this film. Yeah. No. Yeah. And you know that like tomorrow we'll get on fucking Instagram and like Dua Lipa will be wearing like that outfit that Nisi wears for the dance audition like tomorrow. Yeah. She'll be like, do you like my orange latex outfit? I'll be like, that is not your orange latex outfit. That's Halle Berry, a.k.a. Nisi's orange latex outfit from BAPS. Get it together, Dua. Get it together, Dua. I know. I'm like, sorry, Dua Lipa to pull you into this, but like it's going to be her like a Hadid or someone. Yeah. No, it was a, a lot of latex. I was like, how is this an in- a comfortable experience? Because when mm-hmm. they go for the dance audition and um, 
she's Halle Berry has that like orange latex outfit from like top to bottom, but it's like kind of like a, a orange like crop, maybe a latex mm-hmm. crop top bra- bralette situation with some mm-hmm. clear something or other sleeve. <laughs> yeah. It was like the practicality of this, the 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 mindset, right? The 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 way your brain has to function to think this is it. This is what I'm going to go dance in. <laughs> and I'm going to stand in line in a hot Los Angeles dance call for hours in heels and in a latex outfit. And it's chill. Like I felt uncomfortable watching so much of this movie, not just like if from a full like costume perspective of like, this is, this cannot have been like the most joyous experience. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I know. I know the, the, yeah, the like lucite heels and then the orange latex outfit in that hot looking line. Yeah, exactly. And then she had to do multiple physical comedy scenes in that outfit. Yes. Because one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the bidet scene. (laughs) And literally I was like, there's so much in that in that moment that I'm like, wow, the physical comedy, like you could study this because they committed. They said, does it fully make sense that we're slipping and sliding? No, it's not oil. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to slip and slide and we're going to commit. Holly Berry and Natalie Dessel committed. They were like this bidet. We don't know how to use it. We know our motivation. We know our tactics. Let's go. Their chemistry. Yeah. I would pay so much money to see their chemistry read like on tape for their audition because I'm just like they're magic together. Mm-hmm. They just like it, it's one of those things where you can t- those are like two performances where it's just like they had no choice but to trust each other mm-hmm. and to just like to like it's that interesting combination of like I really have to trust you scene partner. Um mm-hmm co-lead and I also really have to not take myself seriously while trusting you and right. like in that like I think that's so complicated as an actor like I know I struggle with that where I'm Me like <laughs> I either like really take myself seriously or I'm like okay I have to trust you but I also have to think about what I'm doing and it's like really in your head and like mm-hmm. there is a like a freedom and a like kind of a what is it called like a releasing that you have to do I think to like really to create that kind of chemistry with somebody. Yes. Yes. And I think the fact that they're both able to do that so beautifully creates this like very tangible shared history that the characters have where like they've been best friends forever. They've done everything together. They trust each other. They believe in each other enough to want to have a restaurant slash hair salon. And that's saying yes. something, you know, um, do you have a favorite outfit from the entire movie or any, any like a few favorites? I feel like, okay, well, there's the orange, the, the, the classic orange latex. Mm-hmm. There's the, I don't remember at all what, what, um, what Mickey is wearing from neck below, but also when they are auditioning for the dance scene and then they have like the hair that makes no sense. Yes. The hair that is just like an extra three feet on top of their head with booyah in stitch in the back. I just feel like that is a quintet. Like you could replace the cover of all the BAPs, like, memorabilia posters with just that that hair like a silly oh wait yes with a shadowy kind of silhouette of the hair and yes. then booyah kind of like in lights and that is baps i literally that was the first thing i wrote i was like that hair is just so iconic yeah absolutely so iconic um also when they did the shopping spree 
I forgot how cute those outfits were too. Honestly, like I personally, I don't know how you feel. I'm a big fan of a montage and I love, I love a shopping montage. I love a travel montage. I love a friends together, having fun montage. Me too. And so I'm like, Oh, we just don't get two things. I don't, I say there's no way to haven't seen all movies, but I just feel like lately, like we don't get enough stories a about adult female friendships and we don't get enough stories with montages. Those are two things that I feel like are just missing in the film cinematic zeitgeist. Taylor, I literally wrote both of those notes. I'm not fucking kidding. First of all, I agree. I think montages are so fun and I think they get a bad rap and I'm like, they make people happy. They're so what, so fun. what is wrong with something that just moves the story forward ish, but mostly just makes people happy? Yeah. Do you much like growing up? I wanted a montage moment. You go to the mall and you're like, yeah, let's go try on these clothes. But mm-hmm. then you realize that you're living real life and there's no musical background and there's no cool edit cuts. And it's really sad. Then I but- know. I, know. I just feel like they're just like inspiring and fun. And you're like, yeah, this is a carefree time. Let's enjoy our lives. Yes. And yeah. in adorable clothes. I mean, Mickey wears this cool, like in the shopping spree scene, she wears this like gold, blue and white, like windbreaker. That was really yes. awesome. That I was like, she looks so cute. And then like Nisi wears this like bubblegum pink, like little houndstooth suit. I was just like, mm-hmm. this is like 90s fashion at its literal most delicious best. Yes. And I mean, 90s fashion is coming back. And some of that is really upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> and some of that you're like, OK, there's this part of me that's like I've had this conversation with friends before where we were like, there are things growing up that I used to get made fun of for Mm -hmm. wearing. Like a bootcut jean was not a cute thing. And now all of a sudden it's like, that's the style. We're down with the skinnies. Like it's only bootcut. It's wide leg all day. And it's like, there's this part of me that's deeply resentful that 90s fashion is coming back. And then there's Mm -hmm. this other part of me that's like, maybe I can like save that wounded child in me that's like okay you can redo this style option one more time yes I've literally had this exact same thought slash conversation where like I I agree like I could not pull off 90s or early 2000s style at all but it's like maybe I can now because I'm a self-assured woman as opposed to like an insecure sad child you know, maybe there's a possibility where you're like, oh, I, I, I'm not kind of still growing into my body. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm like, oh, I didn't just get a period. Actually, I didn't have a period in the nineties. Welcome to me. audience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, like, I just feel like, yeah, there's this part that like, you get to be really intentional about how you dress. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like this movie really, really highlighted the ways fashion in the nineties could not be like terrible. There are, there are mm-hmm. terrible fashion trends that are coming back. And then there's some where you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Monochromatic. I can do that. Love a monochromatic moment. Love. Also, I agree with you to your point about, we need more movies about like female friendships. Mm-hmm. I rewatching this cause it had been a while since I had seen it. I just love that right off the bat, we see them being so supportive of each other. And Nisi is this just like super self-assured woman with big dreams. She's over her shitty boyfriend. She like knows what she deserves from the jump. And then this, and Mickey like is a little more hesitant, but then she's like right there with her. And I was like, I need to see this in movies more. Yes. I, as you know, I told you before we started recording, I was reading a a bunch of different reviews, some Mm -hmm. from the nineties and some as recent as 2018. Uh And 
one made a, a really good point because Rotten Tomatoes, do you know what the score is for Batman? 16%. It's tragic. It's but fucked. It's like a 62% audience rating. It's like 16% for critics, which is really fascinating. I was reading old reviews, but this new review that it was on Refinery29 that came out in 2018, I mm-hmm. uh, cite my sources. Yes. Um, it is titled Babs deserves more respect than a 13% Rotten Tomatoes score, but it talks about how one really like, it talks about the positive representations in the, in in the show, in the movie and about how like, we also don't really get to see that many like black female entrepreneurs in stories. And we Mm -hmm. don't get to see that many, like, this is a story that is not about like trauma it's not about like all of the devastations of poverty it's just like what can we hope for and how can being like our kindest best like most authentic selves lead us into 100 million dollars yes yes totally that that's honestly such a good point and I think it yeah I think that's what I loved about it too was in the beginning it's not like they're like down and out like they're content like their boyfriends kind of suck but they're happy they work at the diner together they go to girls night like they turn down stupid dudes at the club mm-hmm. and then they're like oh but maybe we should just like follow a, a random ping we have to go to LA and then the whole time they never like they never question their worth at all. Even when like people are snobby to them or judgy of them, they're like, whatever, we think we're the shit. And I think that's so refreshing to watch. Yeah, no, I think there are some fair critiques that I read where I was Mm -hmm. like, that's, that's, that's very fair. That's fair. That's fair. But I will say that, like, I think that's one thing that the the movie does do really well, especially for a movie in the nineties is that at no point in time, does it like fat shame Mickey at Mm -hmm. no point in time? Does it say, why does Antonio like her? Like, why is this like, let's question it. It's not necessarily here to like make but like it does make fun of the women in certain ways. But like, I just think that it, it really like subverts certain things that like are re- were really common in the 90s about mm-hmm. how women are portrayed on screen. And here are women who are just like, yeah, we trust ourselves. We're capable. Let's just like follow a whim. We need more movies where people are just following a whim yes. and get to see their adventures and how like them just like really trusting what they want to accomplish to happen to happen and then they just like go from there because it's a fun ride where you don't really know and sometimes things happen inexplicably but (laughs) regardless you don't really know what's gonna happen next and I think that that's why the movie is fun to sit through for like what it's like 70 minutes long it's not very it was really short I know it's like a sensible yeah like 75 minute movie and you're like okay that yeah, was, was fun. Like, was, this, was this a decom? Was this a Disney <laughs> Channel original movie? Like it was yeah. so fast. It was just like it was like made for TV, but without any commercials. It was really fascinating. Totally. I loved it. I have a short attention span. I don't know why everyone now thinks that they have a business like any business dropping like a two hour movie, no. two and a half. I'm like, why does every movie have to be as long as like The Irishman? Like, I don't need this. No. I still haven't seen the Irishman. I haven't either. Exact reason. Same. I'm like, yeah, you get me for 90 minutes after that. I'm after that. I'm done. Um, Also, I got I just I want to tell you, I got full goosebumps and like literally started crying when Nisi was like, no, like my grandmother told me that like good things come in threes. I was like, I just I just you know, I love woo woo stuff. And I love that Nisi's like a little bit woo woo. And she's like, we got the sign three times. We have to go. She's like radio, TV. I forgot what the third one was. The magazine magazine. We have Mm -hmm. to go. Mm -hmm. And then like did it. I think that this movie like 
really like deserves like a good thesis critical analysis on the ways in which you just like do shit as opposed yeah. to like as someone who deeply overthinks everything I do obviously I just think that it's really nice to just watch people who are like okay yeah I'm just gonna trust in these signs and just do it and then it worked out and it's like oh maybe I should like pay attention to my environment more I don't know Oh my gosh, I've gotten so woo-woo lately in that I've seen like 1111 everywhere and like mm. 222, just like angel numbers for days. And I was journaling the other day about how when I was younger and like less um, confident, like in touch with myself, I used to be so like irritated by like really self-assured, confident women, which is like the misogyny that was ingrained in me by society yes. is really sad. Um but I was like, it was just because I was jealous that they had something that I wanted, which was that they could make a decision and be confident in it and be like, I'm going to go here. I'm going to travel here. I'm going to figure out money later. I'm going to dress this way. I'm going to do this thing. Yes. And I was like, oh, but I can be that if I just let myself be that. Such a wild concept. Welcome to my therapy sessions. Literally. Because absolutely. It's like, oh, you have the audacity to follow your dreams and yes. do whatever you want. And if you want to dye your hair purple, you just did it. You didn't overthink it. And just, <laughs> oh, I, I can't, what, what might be the reaction or will I like it afterwards? It's just like, I'm going to try it. And like, it's funny because I often say, well, actually, no, this makes sense now that I'm just talking out loud. Mm -hmm. I often say that like, I take the things around me very seriously, things I care about, my relationships and all of that really seriously, but I don't take myself seriously. I'm like, uh, I don't take myself seriously. But I think that's really interesting because I think I over, I just take everything to a, up a notch in terms mm -hmm. of how serious it is that prevents me from just like, just do it. It's okay. You'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, which is like, not at all is like the exact opposite. And I absolutely understand that whole like, it's like being like intimidated, both, but jealous and like yes. at like other women who just do what they want. And I'm just like, who do you think you are? And it's like, Taylor, you have to chill. Yes. And then it's like, it's like, you can literally do all those things too. The only person standing in your way is like literally yourself. Like Absolutely. I used to be like, I can't, I was journaling the other day. Sorry, everyone. I'm talking about my journaling, but I was journaling about this topic and I was like, I'm going to be a woman who travels a lot and buys myself a ring everywhere I go. And someday yes. I'm going to have a fuck ton of rings on my fingers. And I'm going to use my hands when I tell exciting stories about the places I've been. And I'm like, I can be that person. Cause like, I just fucking decided, like, I was always yeah. like, I can't pull off rings. And I'm like, well, maybe I should start wearing them. You do and then a I'll cute ring on right now. Oh my God. Thank you. It's the one my mom got me. It's the only one I let myself wear. And I'm like, but like I can pull off rings if I wear them and if I yeah. like them and that's yeah. like where it starts and stops. Yeah, because I've noticed also you become like a, a double necklace girl. Like you've been, you've been, what is it called? Padding, not like padding. stacking. Yeah, stacking. There we go. You've been a, you've become a stacker, and I'm like, wow, it's working for you right now. Thank you. It's because yeah. again, I when I worked at Free People for two seconds in a pandemic, and then I had to quit due to frequent panic attacks. I would look at my coworkers. Whoa. I know. I look at my coworkers, and I'd be like, oh, I could never pull off necklaces like that. And then I came into work, and I was like, and yet here I am because and I put on a bunch of necklaces. And then you think it's like gonna be a thing or like a <laughs> moment or like everybody. He's going to be like, I know I'm stacking my necklaces and everyone's going to say something. And 99% of the time, nobody even notices. So then you're like, maybe I didn't pull it off. And then like, I don't know. Hi, welcome to my brain. And I'm just like, maybe I, I did it wrong, but like, no, you kept going. And now it's, it's a thing you do. And now it's a thing I do. And honestly, like big Mickey and Nisi energy. Yeah. Um, thing you do. I wanted to ask 
Uh, aside from the bidet scene, do you have any other favorite scenes? Okay. I was shocked. I think a big thing that I noticed in this rewatch was like, was the pace with which everything was happening. This movie is plot, 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 go, go, go. Because the scene I remembered the most from the movie was when Mickey cooks for, what is his name? Mr. Blakemore. Yeah. Blakemore. Blackwood. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Blakemore. And I swear to you that scene happens like in the middle of the film, back half, like, oh, they have to like really go through some trials and errors before they're accepted by this man. And then she cooks and she takes over the kitchen. That scene happens in the first like 25 minutes of this movie. She's like, give me your plate. And he says, excuse me? I said, give me your plate. And then And then she just like cooks. I out loud said while I was watching this movie the other night, I was like, I love that this is a montage that is happening and they want us to make it seem like she's making all of this food, a full like soul food extravaganza mm-hmm. in like a very short amount of time to like make it reasonable that she would then have made this food and replace the dinner that everybody was just about to eat. And I was like, she just made cornbread from scratch. This is a film, uh, a food making process that would literally take like half a day, like and she made that food in a 15, 30 second montage, a montage. I remember looking at that plate too. when he like smells it all and it's like, ah, and I was like, shit, there's like 20 things on that plate. Yeah. Like I never realized that either. I was like, she made like a full like Thanksgiving feast in 100%. like an hour. And I like, I, it was just me and one friend for Thanksgiving this year. And I made like, I just decided, I was like, I'm just going to make all the things like my mom made and all this food and like new recipes. And I was like, it's chill. And it took me the entire day. Like my friend was just yeah. sitting here. Like, are we ever going to eat? I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm not finished. Like, I don't know. Like, like she made all of the food in that kitchen. Also, I love that they just happen to have every ingredient she needed. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to go in this kitchen. I've never stepped foot in. I just arrived this afternoon. Give me a plate. Yeah. Let's she's go. literally like, she like opens the cabinet and she's like, yes. And yeah, she, just she finds like, the spices, the seasoning. Yes. Yes. Also, you know what? I don't, I don't want to sound like a fucking idiot. I don't know which white person decided not to season food, but like shame on them. Yeah. It was a decision that was made. I, and like, I'm thinking back to growing up and I'm like, I don't think our food was that season. I season my food because I don't have a boring palate, but like, my God. Yeah, no, I've definitely been in, in some Caucasian households where like the meal was pasta, (laughs) the meal was pasta, but it was just boiled pasta. And then like a jar of sauce. Yeah, that's it. And which it's fair. We've all been there. We've all done the jar sauce, just some pasta, but like not a salt, not a pepper, not a garlic seasoning, nothing, Nothing. just the marinara and the pasta. I was like, this is not food. This is is a moment. This is a step process to food. I use, I use jars of sauce all the time, but I also doctor them. You doctor them, you mm-hmm. put a little something, something, maybe you do a little spinach, mm-hmm. anything. Yes. You cannot simply just have noodles and marinara and no salt or any other seasoning. What are we doing there? What are we doing? Literally, like, what's even the point? You might as yeah, well like, just starve yourself. Give me some ice, please. It, it Literally, good. give me a blade of grass. Like, it'll taste the same. Yeah. <laughs> 
Also, another scene that I forgot about that I loved was when they were at the restaurant and they run into like all these famous yes. people. This movie is so 90s. I was it's like, so oh 90s. my God. Well, because first they're in the air- airport on when they get to LA and they run into LL Cool J. Lady Love! Yes. <laughs> She's like, Lady Love! And then I was just like, there was this moment. It's so fascinating. I think this movie is so clearly like a timestamp in history because absolutely when I saw this movie, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That is an appropriate reaction to have to a celebrity. And now I'm like, celebrities are people I would never yes run up and touch them and rub my body all over them <laughs> and that's exactly what they do and I just remembered this time that Ella Cool J came into my mom's job and she has a photo with him that I now have <gasps> and that's all I was like oh Ella Cool J one day you met my mom and oh my I just think yeah so first they meet Ella Cool J and then they go to this restaurant where apparently only famous people eat Mm-hmm. And famous people apparently only eat there because nobody bothers them, which did not happen the moment that they walked in. Because <laughs> they, they see Leon, they see Heavy D, and then yes. they see they see one more guy. He's a singer. What's his name? Oh, oh, oh! What is that man's name? I'm looking at his face in my brain. And then they make him sing. He's like, ah! and he yeah. like does it for them. And they're like, ah! <laughs> yeah. Well, the best is when Nisi's like, Mickey, like, come on, don't be embarrassing. And then she's like, Leon. And she like <laughs> flings herself at him. And he's like, <laughs> what is happening? Um, but it doesn't matter because there was a rich man. And apparently you can do anything you want when you have money. I mean, yeah. I like, I, I, I remember, I, I love it because I'm like, I never think that I'm going to be that person who freaks out around a celebrity. And then I see one that I really fucking like. And then I'm like, and I can't calm down. Like, I remember there was one time Jake and I went to dinner here in LA. I'll take you to the spot. It's a good, it's a good star spotting place. Um, But he, he had never been there for dinner. And so I like, was like, oh, I was like, you can face the dining room and I'll have my back to the dining room. Cause like everyone was there that night. And I was like a little jealous, but I was like, it's whatever. And I hate that I'm this way. I've lived in LA for almost three years and I'm still this way. And then I see someone like walking outside the window and in, and it's Ryan Gosling, who is like my number one, like biggest celebrity crush of all time. And I went, oh my God, Ryan Gosling's here. Ryan Gosling's here. Ryan Gosling's here. And I like could not calm down. And I was like, wow, how blessed that I took the hit of letting Jake face the dining room because then I got to see the only celebrity that mattered, but I literally couldn't calm down at all. No, I don't think I've ever met like a, or like been around, like I'm trying to think like a super famous, I was in a, I was an extra in a Vince Vaughn film once. That's fun. Renona, uh, Renona Ryder walked past me with Jennifer Connelly. Um, (laughs) and I just remember thinking Renona Ryder smells really good. But I also think it's really funny because it was, it was, I forget people can IMDB this, but it's a movie directed by Ron, Ron Howard. And there was mm-hmm. this scene, like we were all at the United Center and it was like, we're watching hockey or whatever. And so we're just like playing in the crowd. And then the four of them, who is the other one? Oh, uh, Kevin James. Mm-hmm. The four of them are like doing their scene or whatever. And then in between each thing, Renona Ryder would definitely be like, Ron, do you remember where I put my purse? Like she could not remember where she like physically like would place things every time she would do the scene. And Ron Howard just like, like it would lift up his hands and be like, I don't know, Renona. I don't know. (laughs) 
that like I don't even know her and I'm like classic Winona I was literally like this this tracks and this was before Stranger Things and I'm like but this this tracks but she did smell quite good she walked past me once and I was like oh wow yeah at least there's that wow what do you remember the smell was it like floral it was like rich it was like rich people (laughs) scent it was like definitely a perfume that cost like at least eighty dollars um probably 200 but it it was like warm it wasn't too florally but it was like I don't know. I went into Ulta the other day mm-hmm. and I was just spraying these like really expensive perfumes. And I was yeah. like, oh, this is what I would want to wear if I was famous and I was meeting people because I want to be that person who's like, oh, wow, that person just smells so good. Like I want yes. that to be a thing people say about me. Honestly, same. That is like aspirational as fuck. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm still working my way through my bottle of Vera Wang princess that my mom gave me when I was 18 years old. And I smell like a baby hooker. I asked for that. I used to have that right now. I'm just about finished with my Rihanna. Um, I don't even remember what it is. My mom also, my mom gave it to me. It's a perfume that like I've had for like at least six years and I'm almost finished with it. I'm like, thank God. I feel like Rihanna would make a great perfume. It's a good perfume. I always get compliments on it, Mm -hmm. but then I'm just like, I'm just ready to smell different. Yeah. I, I was literally wearing exclusively Vera Wang princess and Mark Jacobs Daisy talk about a fucking time. I was just smelling like college Hannah. Like literally I still have them. I still use them. And then I recently got a, like a Burberry, like rollerball, but it's a little too sweet. Like I like Mm. it, but I have to be in a mood. I feel that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I had a Britney uh, Spears fantasy. I'm pretty sure is what it was. It was like a purple and green box. And was I that remember. was it really sweet? Oh yeah, of course. They were all super sweet. Like I wanted to smell like bubblegum pop. Like was barfed up by a cat. That was like yes, that was like a 2000s perfume vibe. Absolutely. And now I want to smell like I want to smell like like layered. I want to smell like like decadent. Like rich but i'm yes Mm -hmm. same i want to smell like rich and like a little bit masculine yes oh yeah you know what i mean because what am i gonna do wait for like men to walk by in 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 cologne no i'm gonna like give me a little that whiff yes give me some musk please absolutely um you were mentioning critiques of this movie yes what what did you find in your research because i found i found an old roger ebert review of this movie that was scathing Yes, Hannah, that is the one I am. I Okay. I was like, I need to ask Taylor about this. No, absolutely. Because I was like, I need to go on Hannah's podcast because I'm like, what if you run out of things to say? You need to do research. <laughs> so I did research. I read the wiki and I was like, okay. And then I was getting articles from there. And <clears throat> okay. Yes. I too right now have the Roger Ebert one pulled up because mm-hmm. it is wild. He hated this movie. He gave it a no star rating that's fucked up like so wild and the thing about it is i i read the full the full review because i'm like i need to hear what robert said i used to watch his little at the movies or whatever with Mm -hmm. uh what is his name Mm -hmm. robert and ebert oh richard oh wait Uh, siskel it was siskel and ebert and then it was ebert and roper yeah there we go god so many critics yeah right right we're filmmakers um, yes. So I read it and I would say most of the reviews are scathing. Like there is a Chicago Tribune. There's a Chicago Tribune article. Okay. I'm sorry. This movie came out in 1997. Um, that the title of the article is BAPS means brainless and probably scriptless. That is the title 
of the article. Literally, I like, and then Robert Eager, Eager, <laughs> Robert Eager, <laughs> Roger Ebert, Ebert. <laughs> I, I like pick some notes about specific quotes because here's the thing about his review. I think he made some good points into it, but it also was layered in some like, like some like, uh, I just forgot the word for all things, but like just some like coded racism, just like a slight little hint of that. Um, but then I was like, oh, he's kind of making some good points, but also Roger, Robert, what is his fucking name? Roger. Oh yeah, it is Roger. Okay, Roger, Roger. We, we're that. combining his first and last names. That's what's happening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So his, some of his like particular quotes I wrote down. Um, he called it jaw-droppingly bad. Um, <laughs> he also put it on his most hated list, um, which I wrote, okay, white man. Um, and then he also called it, he used the phrase, uh, it's about vulgar and garish homegirls. Um, and it's <gasps> two heroines are more like tacky Cinderella's. <gasps> like, uh, it, uh, it. oh, what? And like, here's the thing. This this review was giving me a man who, which is true, Roger is married or was, he's dead now, um, but was married to a black woman for years. Mm-hmm. And this is giving, I have black friends so I can say certain things energy and very like, oh, well, I, it doesn't matter. I can kind of, you know, I can, he uses the, the word homegirls a lot. He calls them homegirls multiple times. And I'm like, Roger, what are we doing here? Yeah. What are we doing here? And so there's parts of his, his review that just feel like coded in racism. And he just like, it just did not resonate, right? I think that was definitely a criticism I read of like the 2018 article talking about why it deserves like a better represent uh, reputation is because a lot of the critics who wrote about it and gave it terrible reviews were just white people. And mm-hmm. most of them were white men. And there was like one or two white women um, who were nicer to the movie. And I think that there are parts of his his review that are like co- coded in this racism and like, oh, how dare they behave this way? And like talking about their behavior and like and like really exa- like just like mention it in this way that feels very both uh, misogynistic and also like coded in some white supremacy expectation. Mm-hmm. But then he was making good points about um, uh, he just said like something about how like the movie kind of does a disservice in terms of how it portrays working class black women and like how it like is like, oh, well, these women become classy when they lose their gold teeth and they get a makeover. And now they're like worthy of like, you know, going to these nice dinners and like doing all of these things Mm -hmm. as opposed to like not making these women caricatures and just like focusing on essentially like who they are as people making them feel more grounded mm-hmm. and he did make a good point about how uh, in the in the scene on the airplane when Nisi and mickey have just like outrageously large hair and he was like that didn't make any sense and i'm like you don't understand black hair roger but <laughs> he did say he was like the thing that the that the movie could have done better is like sometimes like which i do agree with is that sometimes which is really ironic because it was directed by a black man but mm-hmm. sometimes it felt like it was like making fun of them more than like laughing with them. Like you were supposed to laugh at how outrageous they were, but in a way that it's like, they're not necessarily in on the joke. So Mm -hmm. it's like their hair is too big. First off, pause. 
I have never, I mean, obviously I've never been on a plane where they play a movie on a projector screen for the whole. Me neither. I kind of like that, but maybe not because if it's a trash movie, but I was like, this is fascinating. And so Mickey and Nisi's hair is too large and their shadow is like preventing people from seeing the movie. And then every time Mickey like moves her head, she keeps knocking into this white businessman. And so Roger made this point of like, they just kept showing, he was like, that scene could have been really funny, but they all they kept showing you were the reaction shots of like disgruntled white business people. Right. And I was like, that's very fair. And so sometimes I think parts of his article were really fair in those in those criticisms about like how they portrayed um, Mickey and, and Nisi. And I think what's, I'm going to pause, what's really interesting is that this movie was written by Troy Byer, who plays the lawyer. Mm-hmm. And she hates Babs. Um, because I was reading this article, yes, because it's her first feature, it was her first feature film. She's an actress and then she wrote Baps, and she hates it because she was like, That's not the movie I wrote. <gasps> that um Robert Townsend, who directed it, who's also an actor, he's a writer-director as well. He He was also the dad in Up Up and Away on Disney Channel. Yeah, that's <laughs> the most important part. I love Up Up and Away. But <laughs> my God, I should watch that. Anyways, I know I was thinking I, that too. I was like, hmm. Maybe I'll go back and revisit. Um, but uh, this was the first movie that he had ever directed that he did not also write. And she, like, in an article was, like, essentially saying that I think that was a part of the problem. So while they would shoot the movie, he was, like, changing lines and changing things. And she did not know until she saw the final product. That sucks. And, yeah. So she's just like, that's not the movie I wrote. And I, I, and then she's also upset because, which is fair. Um, the movie got slammed by critics. And then she, they're like, I can't believe she wrote it. She's a terrible writer. She did all these because she's listed and credited as a writer. And she's like, I would have removed my name as a writer had I seen that. But I didn't <gasps> see it until it was done because she's like, that's not the movie I wrote. I want to read her script so bad now because she took the money she made from BAPS and she went and directed and made her first feature film that she made for $300,000. And then, which is, this is a wild time in the nineties because she made the film for $300,000. They had like a very rough cut of the feature. She went to Sundance, her and like a few other people who made the movie stood on some corners in Utah while Sundance was happening and just gave out they made a trailer, a cut of like a trailer and just gave out DVDs of this trailer. <gasps> and she was like, we started doing that at like 11 a.m. on a Thursday. And by 1 a.m. on Friday morning, we had sold the movie for four million dollars. That is incredible. I just got goosebumps. So That's wild. incredible. She was like, I thought that that was just how movies <laughs> did. She learned else like that's not the case. But I think that's really interesting because um I don't know. I I think that the the article I read in the new one on Refinery29 made some good points about how, you know, we, how, let's call it spade a spade. Baps is not an Oscar worthy film. It's not like the best movie you're ever going to see. It's just like one of those like cult classics where you're like, yeah, is this amazing? No, but am I having a fucking amazing time watching it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's like, she was just talking about in the article, like, you know, about how like the disparity of like there's six, it's 16% uh, 
on Rotten Tomatoes for critics, but like 60 plus percent for audience, right? And how that happens a lot. And it's like how critics are receiving the movie is clearly different than how audiences are. And like this movie, even though like this writer hated it, is like still such a classic that people love. Yeah. Um, and like when I posted that I was doing this podcast, like on Instagram, people were like DMing me like, babes, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> I that, it, People have so much love for it because yeah, it's such it, a classic. I feel like that is what matters. I also think like they made a good point of like, yeah, is it perfect? No. Does some of it make sense? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like, it's a very clear timestamp. It helps you like, and I think that those things are important too. I think sometimes people are like, there's like problems and things, which, and I'm like, well, let's not erase the fact that there's problems and things. Let's keep those things so we can remember like how we can continue to get better. But right. She talked about all of the positive things of like, um, you know, the the ways and like all the things we've talked about, the ways in which these women are very much so authentically themselves. They're they're You can argue that the movie is po- making fun of them in a way that doesn't always feel like they're in on the joke. But I think that the actors are in on the joke. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, the ways in which there's not this fat shaming and there's not this confusion as to why Mickey is like uh, being loved or admired or why like some man would see her on the street and be interested in her or like the fact that she can make soul food and she can make it healthy and like, you know, kind of dissuading that idea. And then like how these these women at the end of the day are entrepreneurs who want to create a hair salon restaurant, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is a unique idea. Um. (laughs) (laughs) And like essentially how like we get to see them and we get to see this like positive representation of what you do when you are faced essentially in challenge to be a good person. Mm -hmm. And it makes people feel good at the end of the day. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, some people had like had some had some had some things to, to to say but a lot of the other reviews outside of rogers were pretty like coded in racism and talking about their gold teeth and how they behaved and how they acted and i'm like ooh, ooh, ooh you don't you know yeah well and like to your point like with the roger ebert article like i when i at that part of the article resonated with me too where it was like yeah they didn't need a make a makeover to be treated and get the respect that they deserved as women. I mean, they were great people throughout the movie who were true to themselves. And I was thinking back to when I watched it as a kid. And I remember like, I didn't really, I don't think I even registered the makeover when I was little. Like, I think I just thought they looked cool the entire movie. Yeah. hundred percent. You know what I I mean? Even I was like, they lose their gold teeth. Like I, even now, like I watched it two days ago and I was like, I didn't realize that. I just thought they finally just got to buy clothes and they just like got cute outfits I didn't even think of it as a makeover at all which is really interesting that that was his perspective I just thought it's a montage me too I was like oh they're just like going on a fancy shopping spree with Mr. Blakemore but I didn't think like oh their style changed so much throughout the movie and then rewatching it I was like oh shit it kind of like does though yeah but I also feel like it's very reminiscent of which I saw this this critique a lot of just like it's very pretty pretty woman totally um but it's like it's it's a story that's written by a black woman, directed by a black man, starring black people. And it's like it's clearly for black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not apologizing for that. And I think that's why people have a hard time swallowing it. And especially in the 90s, like what? Mm-hmm. That's a wild concept. Why would you do that? But I also think it's like the ways in which 
I really should watch Pretty Woman as an adult because I have never seen it as an adult. But I remember as a child, I did not like it. Why did I watch it as a child? I don't know. I, there were so many movies I watched as a child where I'm like, Mom, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> you were just tired. You were yeah. like, whatever. Yeah, you were just bored. And you were like, just pick whatever movie you want at Blockbuster. I don't care. A hundred percent. But like, I just think it made like one of the articles made a good comparison of just like the the one of the issues with Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman? Pretty Woman, Taylor. Yeah. One of the issues with Pretty Woman is like its inability inability to acknowledge that the Julia Roberts character gets a lot of the things she does because she is a white person. Mm -hmm. But she dresses similarly to these women. She does like a lot of her access is because she is white. And it's like, okay, yeah, let's see that story with a non-white person and get to experience how like they don't deny the fact that they're black. It's not a whitewashing situation where they pretend right. that they're not black people, their culture and their, their perspective. They're from the South. It's very evident mm-hmm. um, in mm-hmm. everything they do um, <laughs> that like, uh, I just think that, I don't know. I just, I just think that it really did a good job of like saying, yeah, everybody can like be a part of this story. It did give me a lot of like, capitalism feelings <laughs> outside of that i was like yeah, this is a, it's a sweet story pause i have to ask you a question yes did it make sense to you okay because this is something that was fair in all critiques okay all critiques there might perhaps be a few plot holes yes okay listen i between Nisi and Mickey, I identify with Mickey a lot because she loves food and responds to men giving her attention. Yeah. And she doesn't question it. She's just like, hot guy's giving me attention. I'll trust him. Sure. That man on the street corner, he's looking <laughs> at me and he says, I wanted you to come to my Beverly Hills mansion and I want to give you $10,000. Okay. Why not? I literally was like, huh? And yeah, then I mean, I love how he's like, they're like $10,000. Where are you at? And then they just like get in the car and go. But then like, and then Isaac's like, actually, there is no music video. Actually, you're going to play my uncle's long lost lover's granddaughter. And they're like, sure. Okay, sure. A hundred percent. They're just like, okay, sure. And it's like, I think it's fascinating that at no point are they like, are they soliciting me for sex? Is this a sex trafficking situation? Literally. They're just like, okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Are they going to murder me? They're like, no, I'm going to get in this limo and I'm going to drive. I'm going to get $10,000. You want me to, you want me to act? Ooh, okay. I'll act. And it's just like, what? Like, it's very interesting because I think, I think what they could have done in the script and maybe that was in the original version is like maybe play up their like small townness. Yeah. And like the naivete that comes from that. Because I was just like, there is no way that a man standing and leaning on a tree looking at me could come up to me and say, I want you to be in a music video. Let's go to this mansion. I'm Get in my limo. Especially in LA. Like you said, like you go from, you know, Decatur, Georgia to the big bad city and you get in some random strangers, like some random man's limo. Imagine I can't. I know. I know. And I will say I did like how that like how Mr. Blakemore, like you said, he has one scene where he like yells at Isaac and is like, why did you bring them in here without telling me? But other than that, he like is like into them from the jump. He's like, cool. Which I did not remember. I was like, surely what happens on a logistical standpoint is they go. This man is angry and he's mean and he's bitter and they have to warm up to him. And then eventually they do and they cook him food. And that's they how I remembered it. He literally said, oh, get out of 
here. And it was like five minutes later, it was like, I'm sorry, I yelled. Welcome to my home. <laughs> and, and the wild thing is, is that at the end, they tell you that Lily, this, this never little, had grandkids. Never, she never had a single child, let alone grandchildren. And I'm like, okay, so he knew this the whole time. Why would he let strangers come into his home? That's what I was wondering too. I was like, so what was the point of upholding the lie as opposed to being like, listen, my nephew's a fucking idiot. Yeah. She never had kids, but like, we're having a good time. So feel free to hang out. Yeah. I'd love to have some friends at the end of my life. Let's yeah. do it. And then they but go in- to like a disco and he's like, that was the part of the Roger Ebert article. I loved that. He was like, inexplicably the day the <laughs> hours before he dies, he has enough energy to go to the disco. But I will say that is a phenomenon before people die, though, uh, who are sick of like getting like a final burst of energy before yeah. they, they like really lose it. Um, Because that absolutely happened with my mom where I was same. Like, oh, is she like fine now? My mom literally like all of her siblings were like standing around her bed and she like read all of them. She was like, dude, 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 like read everybody and then was like, bye. We were like, okay, mom. She like literally never said what was on. Like she was always so polite. And then she was finally like, here's what I really think of all of you. And she wasn't mean or anything, but it was hilarious. Oh my God. Yeah. My mom, it was like one of her last days in the hospital before she went home for hospice. She was just, I fucking stand up comic, like just roasting the nurse. Oh yeah. Come here, baby. And I'll give you this. And I'm like, uh, is she is, were the doctors correct? Is she fine? Like what's happening here? It was so wild. Oh, Debbie. Yes, yes, yes. Telling some knee slappers to the nurses and the doctors. <laughs> they were having a good time. They were like, she is a hoot. I'm like, yeah, exactly. I don't know what's happening here. Oh my god, don't you feel so cool when the nurses and doctors are like, your mom is like a fun patient? And you're like, I yeah, know. Yeah. I know yeah. she is. <laughs> yeah. I know. You're welcome. Thanks so much. Yeah. I, I worked hard. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love that is true, though. Like, I can't imagine my mom just going like a mere few hours before her passing. And then she's died. I wish. Be fun. It would have been a nice story. Yeah, it would have been a great story. I Roger Ebert also said that he doesn't think that Martin Landau knew what movie he was in. Yes, which I thought was hysterical. So did I, but I was like, I love his performance as Mr. B. Yeah, of course. I just think... I think that I get what he was trying to do. Totally. I get both perspectives, right? Obviously, uh, Martin Landau was trying to be like that, like grounding, calming, mm-hmm. loving presence that really tugged at your heartstrings, which, which I do think was effective because if he was like this super like goofy and I'm really like slapstick comic, I'd be like, mm-hmm. okay, he died, whatever. This movie is wild. But like, he is like supposed to like care, but I also can see this part. It's like, I don't know if he understood the movie that he was in. Yes. Like the rest of it, like all the scenes he's not in. Yeah. I like he, he's giving, I didn't read the full script. Totally. Totally. Yeah. He's like, I read my scenes and I am prepared for them. However, I've decided who I am based <laughs> on these pages. Yes, totally. And honestly, I was like, it works for me. Sorry, Roger yeah. Ebert, but it works for me. I also love Manly, a.k.a. Alfred. Okay, but I did cry when he said when she finally calls him Manly and he goes, Alfred would be just fine. And I was like, oh, my God, I literally makes me so emotional at the end. He's like, girls. Yes. Um. As we wrap up here, I have to ask, what are your thoughts on the ending? Do you love it? What are your feelings? 
honestly, I do think I really like it. I well, okay. First off, I rewatched it multiple times because you know what I didn't love the editorial choice that was we're not going to hear you read this the will the will out loud. We're gonna have to watch this woman's mouth. So I rewatched it multiple times to try and figure out. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he gave them one hundred million dollars. Yes. Very unclear what he gave Alfred slash Manly. Maybe the house, maybe something. Yeah. But he gave him something. Super unclear what happened to the nephew. Just going to assume he got squat. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is really sweet. I'm like, $100 million is excessive for someone you knew seven days. But go off. Great. Um, But like there was this thing where I was like, yes, they get to live out their dreams. I kind of wish because I like at the end they explain like, so they get to open they're at their like LA opening or so the Beverly Hills opening of their hair salon restaurant, mm-hmm. but they have like multiple, they've like franchised at this point, they have mm-hmm. a franchise of like multiple different uh, locations. And I was like, I kind of wish they didn't have a franchise. I think I wish that it was just one singular location mm-hmm. and $100 million is enough money for me to never do anything again. Yeah. Like, I don't think it would be like, oh, finally, I got $100 million. I can open up all my businesses. I'm like, I have $100 million. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to travel. I'm going to chill for the rest of my life. Yes. But it did make me emotional that they finally got what they wanted. I think I was crying. I don't remember. And then, like, how the boyfriends. Oh, wait. One thought. Okay, hold on. Well, the Page cab. Cadillacs are like luxury, like <laughs> cabs that you page. But I just want to go back to the to the night, uh, the night that uh, he 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 dies. But they are <laughs> Halle Berry's just like in this really beautiful robe, mm-hmm. and her hair is just luscious, and she's like, I can't sleep because um, they're gonna go back to Decatur, and she's like, We can't tell him we're leaving. We just have to leave. And mm-hmm. then she goes downstairs, and then her boyfriend Ali pops up out of randomly because this man who she just met seven days ago paid for the, her boyfriend and the friend to like fly. Mm-hmm. But my favorite part in my mind, this it was this grand like staircase situation, very like just huge room. And instead, it was just like this room with a bunch of random statues, and then the spotlight. And then my favorite moment that was truly outrageous was when the spotlight just lit up and then she's standing there and then she looks and then Ali is there. And, and it's like, like I'll be loving you forever. Oh, oh, my God. Zoom just said playing music, question mark. And I'm like, wow. no, that was just me singing. <laughs> Somebody pay her. Yeah. But I will say that I do think that the ending is really sweet. They're all in white. Manly's living his best life. And then I was like, I don't know who of these people are still alive because I feel like Ian Richardson and Martin Lando must not be alive anymore. But I didn't actually Google that. I didn't either. Also, I have to say, Ali, when he gets that makeover at the end, he can get it. Like all you need is a clean shave and a haircut. Yeah. And I was like, whatever Matt James is doing. (laughs) Yeah. Don't even get me started. Okay. Matt James. I was like, good for Serena that she left. She's like, I don't actually really like you. I was like, I understand. Um, Do any of us really like Matt James at this point? (laughs) Um, I agree. I love the ending. And again, 
the celebrity cameos. I love that Dennis Rodman and Halle Berry have that moment together. And I think mm-hmm. Halle Berry does such a good job at pretending like she's starstruck by Dennis Rodman, even though at this point, like she is Halle fucking Berry. Right. Like she is Halle Berry. And she's like, Dennis, I, I think that that's really fun. And I think that that's part of the fun of the movie is like watching Halle Berry just get to like act very regular in this way that like mm-hmm. she has done. Like, don't get me started on how much I dislike Monsters Ball. But oh my God, I've never seen it. Oh my God, it's so boring and depressing. Very, mm-hmm. very good sex scenes, but almost like too realistic to the, but they're still sad sex scenes. So it's like mm. not fun all the time. Yeah. Um, but like if you're like 13 going through, if you're 13 and you're listening to this, you're going through <laughs> your, your sexual awakening, watch Monsters Ball and thank me later. But yeah, I think it's really fun that she just gets to play like this regular person and just like, just go all out. Like that's the thing you can just tell is every everybody just seemed like they were just having fun to be yes. happy to be there. But the movie costs like ten million dollars to make, which is shocking. That and is it crazy. only made like seven point nine millions in the box office. That's fucked up. Yeah. I also I want to see Halle Berry do more comedies. I think her timing was on point. Obviously, so Natalie DeSalle is amazing. Yeah. With um, R.I.P. R.I.P. I can't even. I'm so happy we like have this performance of hers like forever and always because it just seems like she yeah. was just so in her element. This was like her third like big role of all time. She's so good. So good. Um, My last question is, what would you say is the takeaway from this film? What's the moral for you? You're like, OK, what is the moral of that? Um, Black American princesses, if you made it this far and don't know what it means. <laughs> Um, what is the moral of a BAP? I would say the moral of this story is go after the things that are calling you, stay Mm -hmm. true to who you are. And one day you too can get a hundred million dollars. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Stay true to yourself. Follow your dreams. Yeah. Be a good friend. Yeah. And magic will happen. Yes, and magic will happen. Magic will happen in the form of $100 million and a restaurant slash hair salon. Yeah, which is not a sanitary idea, (laughs) but go off. I asked myself, I was like, when I was little, I didn't question it. I was like, okay, cool, great. And then as an adult, I was like, would I go there though? Well, it's like, it makes sense as an adult why everybody was like, that's a dumb idea. (laughs) It's a dumb idea. (laughs) I'm like, I would go to Mickey's restaurant and Nisi's hair salon. I just don't know if I would go to them if they were in the same building. No, like they'd have to be separated by walls, like thick walls. Like Like I can't eat like, you know, that delicious meal that Mickey made for Mr. Blakemore while I'm getting my hair done. No, because then there's like hair clippings all over the floor and then somebody opens the door and the wind brushes and, and then, then it's all the in hair. your potatoes. Exactly. <laughs> um, Taylor, this was literally just such a joy, like as always. And everyone, if you listen to this whole episode and you somehow haven't seen BAPS, go watch it. What are you doing? Literally, what are you doing? It is like the most fun, happy, like 75 minutes you will spend. And I think in quarantine too, I think at this point in this hellscape of a pandemic, I think we're all craving nostalgia and just like buoyant, happy movies. And BAPS has all those things. Yeah, we just want to escape. I'm at the Mm -hmm. point where I'm like, it's the reason I haven't watched Nomadland. It's the reason I haven't watched all these like very like intense movies that have come Mm -hmm. out because I'm like, 
what I want to do is feel good mm-hmm. and I'm going to get off my soapbox, but not enough rom-coms or good comedies are out like lately. Taylor, I think like, I think rom-coms need to have a resurgence, like a nineties, two thousands type resurgence. I think that yeah. is exactly what people are craving right now. I just want to play the funny best friend in a rom-com. I have a playlist called rom-com that is supposed to inspire me to write a rom-com that yes. will hopefully someday exist. And I'm just, we're on you the will. same page. I see that happening. Oh my God. I think you're, you're like, you're like deep in the rom-com bag that I think I, I would watch a movie. I, I, I know that you understand the tropes and you know how to play into them while also creating a good and interesting story. Because I think rom-coms get a bad rap mm-hmm. for being like, I don't know, predictable. It's like, yeah, we understand these people are going to end up together or maybe shocker. They're not, but like, those are the options. Right. But there's mm-hmm. also a reason that like, Dash and Lily, someone oh, great. Yes. Spring. Also, side note, what is that girl's name? Oh, no, I'm going to look it up. Kristen Milioti. No, this girl who's in every. What movie is she in? She's in that movie. Set it up on Netflix. Zoe Deutsch. She's in every rom-com on Hulu. I'm like, Zoe, do something else. Give somebody else a chance. Why is Zoe being she's being cast? as the same person in every film. And I'm like, there are more interesting people who could play her. I don't think well, she's it's, bad. it's Anna Kendrick 2.0 is what it is. Yes. And it's the same thing over and over. And I'm like, this is the reason more rom-coms aren't getting made because Zoe is just taking all of them. <laughs> Zoe, step aside. Sorry, Please. I'm going to say it. Lily Collins, step aside. Someone else, get in there. Okay, Emily in Paris. Like, Come on. Um, Taylor, will you please just let my listeners where they can find you and just plug all the things? Sure. Okay. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Most of the time I spend hours on Instagram just scrolling. I'm at a wishful dream It's spelled exactly how it sounds. Um, I've been for the month of February producing a project called project 28, which is the project dot two eight on Instagram. Um, or you can search YouTube for the, pro- for project 28, where, um, we make 28 short films in 28 days. And that's been fun. Um, did I tell you I'm starting a podcast? No. Yeah. It's not going to be released for a while, but we're, we're right now we're recording a bunch of episodes, um, to have them in the bank so that it'll be easier to just release them as they go. Oh my God. Mazel tov. I've literally wanted this forever. I'm so excited for you. So, you know, hop on over to the, to the Apple podcast and the Spotify in May and, uh, Google media darlings. Uh, so you can, uh, hear all about our pop culture, uh, musings love y'all subscribe write a review now like get it all done ready schedule that schedule the review out schedule the review buckle up strap in get excited and seriously everyone check out project 28 because i love the shorts y'all have been making they're amazing and such a cool idea um well taylor thank you so much again for being here listeners thank thank you you for listening yeah we'll see you soon Bye.